You thankful for his blood today? Man, I'm so thankful for Jesus. You can be seated, but just for a minute, just for a minute. You know, we do spiritual calisthenics here at Hope Point. We get up, we turn around, jump up, jump down. Uh, the very special Sunday uh, yesterday, of course, was, was Veterans Day. And uh, today we're observing that. And uh, we just have an amazing uh, lunch catered by Mission Barbecue for you guys after our 1130 service. So if you came early, you can come back and go, you can go rest and then come back. But um, I just want to want to acknowledge everybody in the room. If you're a, you're a veteran in the room, would you mind just standing up so we can honor you? Any veterans here today? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, let's give it up for all our veterans. Amazing. Thank you for your service to our country. We appreciate, love, and honor you. Uh, It's such an amazing privilege to get to honor you for uh, serving our country protecting our freedoms, and um, I'm so thankful that uh, there's so many of you who just um, took up the charge, and and I know that uh, we need to be more and more grateful for all that you did for us and um, for serving our country. I love our country. Uh, I I feel like uh, we need God more than ever in our country. We just do. But one of the things I love is that the Bible says, no greater love hath a man than he lay down his life for his friends. And so I just am so thankful for people that would uh, choose to serve and potentially risk all of that to protect us and our freedoms. So one more time, let's give it up for them. Love you guys. Amazing. I hope you eat well. You deserve it. Man, today we're going to get into the Word. How many of you are ready for a moment with Jesus? Come on, a moment to a milestone. Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, I just, I thank, I'm so thankful for each and every face in this church. Father, you see everyone. You see each of us. Father, not just everyone, each of us. Father, you, you see us where we're at. Even while we're a long way off, you see us. So today, Father, I just, I thank you for moments with you that turn into milestones on the journey to abundant and eternal life. So, Father, today, would you just take your word, transform our lives. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you in this place. Do what you want to do. Have your way. Change every heart. Challenge us from the inside out and transform us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. If you're joining us online, welcome to Hope Point. Amen just means I agree, so let it be. Uh, Today, we're talking about man up moments. Say man up. Man up. Come on, say it like men. Man, man up. Man ladies, up. say it like men. Man up. <laughs> We're gonna, ladies, don't worry. Uh, you can have some woe man up moments too. <laughs> there, there's some good moments in here uh, for you as well. Um, moment, of course, remember, is in this series is all about God uh, doing something in an instant, moving you. Moment deals with momentum. It deals with movement in an instant that hopefully um, we will uh, sustain and, and make last over a lifetime in a series of moments that turns into milestones, that turns into a journey with Jesus. And um, I'm going to give you a few things that I think are so important today. I'm going to give them to you right off the bat. Number one, I want you to notice what's important. Notice what's important. We're going to talk today about noticing what's important. Um, number two, know your no. Uh, know your no right so know your no 
Uh, number three, maximize moments. Everybody say maximize. Maximize, maximize your moments. Number four, re reveal Jesus to others. Okay? God wants to use you to do that. And number five, memorialize moments. Say memorialize. memorialize. We're going to find all of these things in John chapter 1 today. Everything that we're going to talk about is going to be found in John chapter 1. And when it, when it comes to, to just noticing what's important, I'm reminded um, of probably the greatest investor of our, of our generation and previous generations, Warren Buffett. He's, he's 92. Um, he, he founded Berkshire Hathaway. He's worth about $117 billion. He still lives in Omaha and drives a Ford Lincoln. Um, but he it was brilliant brilliant. He, his Berkshire Hathaway outpaced the market. His return on investment has been 3,784,467%. Almost 4 million percent return on investment, if you think about that. And, and one of the things that he said that he wrote to his uh, uh, shareholders is um, he said, that number is important, but there's a second number that's Smaller and less precise, but no less astounding. He says, our satisfactory <laughs> results have been the products of about a dozen truly good decisions. A dozen truly good decisions. That would be about one every five years. The weeds wither away in significance as the flowers bloom. The weeds wither away in significance as the flowers bloom. He would tell a lot of the people that he mentored, imagine you have a punch card with 20 slots and you can only make that many investments over the course of your entire life. You would be more picky. You would be more discerning, more patient. You would make each one count. You would go only on your strongest convictions as to what to invest in. When Warren was in school in New York, uh, business school, he learned his professor and intellectual hero, Benjamin Graham, was the chairman of an insurance company in D.C., and so he rode the train from New York to D.C. to visit its corporate headquarters. And he arrived on a Saturday morning only to discover that the company's employees don't work on Saturday mornings. Um, and uh, so, so he was banging on the doors trying to get in, and finally a custodian heard him and uh, let him in to the office and introduced him to the only other person that was there, which was the CEO of the company. It was there on a Saturday morning. So he learned insurance and education from the CEO. That compassion of that janitor would alter the course of business history as Mr. Buffett's investment in a little company called Geico began his lifelong fascination with insurance. And I think one of the things I see there when we talk about noticing what's important is some moments make up for a lot of bad decisions. Aren't we glad that we serve a God that will do that? What do I mean by that? It doesn't mean that we should um, abuse the grace of God, but what it means is salvation is just that. It's one good decision. Just one good decision. If you're here today, lived a lot of life, made a lot of choices that, that, that you just regret, one good decision can change everything. Course of history, course of your life, course of eternity, with one good decision. If you don't believe me, look at the thief on the cross. This is a guy who, who, this is a convicted felon who admits that he's guilty, that he admits that he's condemned. He said, hey, we deserve to be up here, right? He doesn't. And in all of those bad decisions, he makes one good decision. 
And Jesus says, today, you might die today, but you're going to be with me in paradise. One good decision. Warren said, I made one every five years that truly made a difference. Of all my business acumen, really it came down to that. That today, you could make one good decision. Whether it's salvation, whether it's, it's, it's determination to just get a new start, whether it's surrendering to God, whether it's getting out of the funk that you're in, whatever it is, it could be today. And you got to be passionate about your choices, your moments, and make them count. Be dedicated to your convictions, church, even in an era where you might get canceled. Just remember, while others are canceling, maybe God might be subscribing. Are you with me? While others are canceling, God might be subscribing, saying, hey, have you considered my servant so-and-so? Like he did with Job. The reality is, live for an audience of one. It reminds me of Daniel 3, 16 through 18 moment, right? There were three boys, Israelite boys, who would not give in to an idolatrous demand from a heathen king to bow down to an idol, and so they had to face his homicidal wrath, right? But what did they say? King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter, which is important when you know when to do that. Let God be your defender. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver it from your hand, O majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, don't you love that, that we will not serve your gods or the image of gold that you have set up. One good decision, and they're in the Bible. You don't really see them many other places, but you see them in that one good decision. I love their reverence and rebellion, right, so to speak. They were still honoring even their, in their submission to God and rebellion to the king, your majesty. God cares about the how. Are you with me? So be willing to go see for yourself. That's what Warren did. He took a train and decided to go see for himself on a Saturday morning. Others can tell you about the gospel, but you have to discover Jesus for yourself. Too many Christians have their faith in Jesus based on the game telephone. At a certain point, you've got to own the phone. Right? You've got to own the phone. You've got to have a line to him. You can't go, hey, I heard, I heard, I heard, I heard, I heard. My daddy, my granddaddy, my, my, my grandma, my, my, my mom, all these people. No, no, no. You've got to have it. You've got to know. You've got to own the phone. Jesus is not Kevin Bacon. There are not six degrees of separation to him. There shouldn't be. If I have to explain that joke to you, then don't worry about it. Probably wasn't good anyway. Notice what's important. There's, a, I want to put up, can you have that slide? Can you put that slide up? There's something called inattentional blindness. And I think this is fascinating. This is the scan of a lung. I don't know if you can see anything in that. But in the top right corner, there's a big ang angry gorilla. This is a real scan that was... Uh, a researcher superimposed that gorilla in the top right corner. And what he said is, um, he's a researcher at uh, Harvard Business School, or Medical School. And what he said is, radiologists are superhumans. They read scans and can see things that nobody else can. Even when they point them out to you, you still can't see them. They know nodules and nodes and all these little things that they're, they're looking for cancer and other things, right? So they see everything. They're trained to see everything. 
And, and it's interesting because in one of the studies of attention research called the Big Gorilla Study, there's a video that they will show people. It's, 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 it's the most well-known study in attention research. And it's one basketball team is wearing all white. One basketball team is wearing all black uniform, uniforms. And they have people watch, and they say, tell me how many times the team wearing white passes the ball. So they're, and they're weaving in and out, and people are counting, trying to figure it out, and it's hard because people are moving. And about 30 seconds into the video, a man in a big gorilla outfit walks right into the middle of the screen, beats his chest, and walks out. So at the end of the video, they ask all the people that watched it, did you see the big gorilla? 50% of them don't. What's fascinating about this is they thought, well, maybe radiologists, they, are, they, they look to see everything. Maybe they'll see the gorilla. 83% of them didn't. Licensed, trained professionals. You know why? Because they were looking for cancer. And here's the importance. I want you to hear this because we do this with God. And I think it's fascinating, right? It wasn't because their eyes weren't looking at the gorilla. The problem was in the way their brains had framed what they were looking at. Hear me. They looked right at it, but because they were looking for everything else, they missed a big hairy gorilla, angry, looking back at them. In other words, what we're thinking about and what we're focused on filters the world around us so aggressively that it literally shapes what we see. Now, you go, Pastor, what, what are you trying to get across? That you and I are so distracted by things in the world so often that we don't recognize many of the spiritual truths in our own lives. The activity of the Holy Spirit trying to operate in and through us and Jesus showing up in big ways and wanting to use us. Hear me. We can miss big God opportunities because we're caught up on other responsibilities, on business, and what we're dealing with on the inside. We can, we can miss show up, show up campaign. We got, a, we got an opportunity to move the needle huge in our community for Jesus. I wonder if we'll be too busy to remember. I want you to think about this. Are we so focused on worldly things that we miss the kingdom of God around us? Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Are we so focused on what is seen that we miss what's actually there? Are you, are you, are you with me? What's hidden in plain sight? John has this experience. John the Baptist, and John the Apostle writes about it. He says, now, this is John's testimony. A bunch of the Jews sent people from Jerusalem to find out who John was. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know if he was Jesus Christ. They didn't know if he was, if he was the Christ, the Messiah. They didn't know if he was, uh, you know, Elijah. So they asked him, who are you? And John confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer. And he uses Isaiah 40, verse 3. He said, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Some of the Pharisees who had questioned him said, then why do you baptize? He says, I baptize with water. But among you, 
Listen, among you, big hairy gorilla, among you stands one who you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. Listen, know your no. John could see what was important despite everything going on around him. Are you, are you the prophet? No. Don't let people put an improper label on you. Are you the Christ? Are you this? Are you that? You've thought this. You must be this. You've had that. You must be that. They can't put a label on you. They'll put you in a certain camp. Let me tell you something. You better know your no. No, I'm not that. Joseph knew his no. That's why he ran from Potiphar's wife when she ripped his clothes off. David didn't. Ruth knew her no. She said, hey, where you go, I will go, Naomi. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where, 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 where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. I'm not leaving you. Far be it from me if anybody tries to separate me from you. Orpah didn't know her no. John said no. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. W.C. Fields said, it doesn't matter what they call you. It only matters what you answer to. It doesn't matter what they call you. It only matters what you answer to. John recognizes who Jesus is. Come on. And who he is in light of him. You'll never be shaken by comparison, loss, or by life if you know who he is and who you are in light of him. You may be challenged, but you will not be conquered. See, John is filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows who Jesus is, and he's going, hey, I've got a mission here. And if you look in verse 30 of that same chapter, he says, this is the one I meant. I must decrease, he must increase. A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John knew my job is to reveal Jesus. Church, how can we reveal Jesus? How can we reveal Jesus in the everyday little things when everybody else is trying to focus on other things? Put me in a box, label me this, label me that. No, no, no. I know what my mission is. I know what my purpose is. This is a man up, a woe man up moment, right? This is, well, who are you? He had an opportunity to take the credit. He didn't. He was big time. He had everybody following him. And instead he said, I'm not that guy, but this is who I am. I'm staying in my lane. I know my place, and my place is to reveal Jesus Christ. My, play, my place is not to make a bunch of money. My place is not to, not to achieve, achieve a bunch of other things. My place is to reveal Jesus Christ to a lost and dying and hurting world. I am baptizing so that Jesus would be revealed to them. Your, your vocation, your family, your community is all a platform. All it is is an eternal platform for you to reveal Jesus to a world that's lost and dying. That's it. How can I reveal Jesus? John 1, 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was just walking, but John saw him. You hear me? John sees him. It's a moment. It's a life-defining moment, an indelible moment. John is fulfilling his mission. It's been 30 years in the making and an eternity in the waiting. But John says, here it is. I'm not missing it. There he is. 
Verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God, pointing, 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 pointing. See, right place, right time, maybe. What I say is provision often follows your place. Provision often follows place. A lot of us look for provision, but we're not in the right place. You hear me? What I mean is put yourself in the right place and prepare to receive the provision of God. Don't try to prepare to receive the provision of God without being in the right place. The Israelites had to follow the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, didn't they? Come on, Elijah had to go to the river Kareth during the drought. He had to go to the widow of Zarephath. Elisha had to go to the Shunammite woman. David went to the house of God when he was on the run from Saul to get the bread of the presence and the sword of Goliath. The woman with the issue of blood had to be near Jesus. Ruth had to be serving her mother-in-law, Naomi, and then Boaz came along. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times what I see in Scripture is when I'm in the right place and I can receive the right provision. A lot of times we're playing, praying for provision from a place that we are, but God isn't. There was once um, a Civil War corporal named uh, Barton Mitchell, and he was going along the road one day, true story, found an envelope holding three cigars wrapped in paper. Tucked inside were orders from General Robert E. Lee detailing the Confederate Army's next move. The result was the Battle of Antietam, the bloodiest battle in all of Ameri- one day battle in all of American history. What was interesting is uh, at that time, President Lincoln, because they won that battle, the Union, he decisively decided to uh, give the Emancipation Proclamation from a point of strength instead of weakness. But here's the thing McClellan made it, McClellan was the Union general, he made an error. He could have ended the war, likely. Instead, he didn't commit all of his troops. His troops outnumbered the South two to one, but he held back, and Lee escaped. Can I tell you, don't waste a moment. Go all in with Jesus. This guy found everything that he needed, and yet still did not do what he needed to do. You have to maximize your moment. Maximize it. When you have a moment with God, whether it's one of conviction, whether it's one of challenge, whether it's one of hope, whether it's one of victory, maximize it. Celebrate it. Make the most out of that moment. Don't leave anything on the table. I think of Andrew. As soon as John sees Jesus, Andrew's with him. And Andrew goes and he doggedly follows Jesus. He, he, he listens to the right words, but then, then he's obnoxious. He follows Jesus and questions him. Then he spends time with him. He actually goes to where Jesus is staying and stays there. He invites himself. You know those people. They invited themselves over. You know? They, they, hey, I'm coming over for dinner. Uh, okay. Right, right. You know what I'm talking about? He's a stage five clinger. He's a stalker. That's, that's Andrew. And then he's so dogged about it. Listen, he, he reminds you of the woman again with the issue of blood. Can I tell you, there's just something in the heart of God that honors passion and sacrifice, tenacity and humility that says, I'm not leaving until I touch you. I'm not leaving till I get what I need. I'm not leaving till I'm changed and transformed by your presence. 
So Andrew keeps pestering Jesus, trying to find out everything. He then immediately, immediately goes and tells his brother, a guy by the name of Simon. I found the one, the one that Moses talked about, the one that the prophets talked about. I found him. He's, he's, he's the Christ. You got to come. Isn't it interesting that immediately when he hears good news, the first thing he wants to do is share it? Remember, you might be canceled, God subscribing. Go share it. Go share it. Immediately, he shares the good news. I love guys like Andrew because he bets it all. He goes all in. He leaves everything. He says, I know what I've found. And here's the point. Know that God sees you. I think that's so important. God sees you in your moment, in your thing. John verse 40, 1 verse 40, Andrew went to Simon Peter, one of the two that heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was tell him, we found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, soon as he meets him, you are Simon, son of John, you'll be called Cephas, which is Aramaic for rock, or Peter, which is Greek for rock. You'll be, you'll be a rock when you know you know right Jesus prophetically declares over Peter who he will be Simon means reed flimsy unstable breakable Peter means rock Jesus doesn't see all the mistakes he will make he sees who he called him to be hear me he doesn't see all the mistakes he'll make he, he, he sees who he called him to be this is so important. Uh, Frank, real quick. I didn't tell you this. Get up here. I should have told you this. He asked me if I had anything to do, and I said no. I lied. I'm sorry. This is Frank. This is Peter. This is Simon. I made a lot of mistakes. Jesus does not see. I'm going to be Jesus for a minute. Jesus does not see. He does not define him by his denial. He does not define him by him sinking in the water. He defines him as the leader of the church. He defines him as a rock and a pillar that others can build their faith with. He defines him as that guy. See, I think a lot of times we go, oh, Jesus can be here with you, but he ain't ever going to talk to you from here. He's always going to talk to you from where he called you to be. From where he called you to be. You don't believe me? Look, look. He does the same thing with Abram, right? Genesis 17. He says, as for me, this is my covenant with you, Abram. You'll be the father of many nations. Abram's 99 with no kids at this point. No longer will you be called Abram. You'll be called Abraham. I know this is where you are, but this is not how I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you from here. Come on up, Frank. Abram goes to Abraham, no kids, to father of many nations. That's what Abraham means. God will always talk to you and challenge you from who he's called you to be, not by the mistakes that you have made. That's good. That's right. Thank you, Frank. Listen, think of all the names. Abram to Abraham, exalted father to father of nations. Sarai to Sarah, from princess to mother of nations. From Jacob Supplanter to Israel, one who contends with God, favor with God. Simon, reed unstable. Peter, rock. 
Jesus loves to talk to you based upon how he made you, not how you made yourself. Man. Come on, somebody. A couple, couple verses later, he goes and gets Philip. Philip follows him. This is all in Capernaum. Remember, this is all in a place that he went because other people rejected him. Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. Exact same thing. Do you see how every time somebody meets Jesus, they go get somebody else? Every time. Without fail. He's so good. You got to meet him. I wish we'd be like that. Forget the politics. Forget the stuff. Forget the worried about what people think of you. Come on. Shake the dust off, Jesus said. They don't receive it. Just look. Hey, I met somebody good. You need to meet him. Oh, he changed everything for you. Nathaniel says, nothing good can come from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come on, man. He says, no, no, no. Meet the one that Moses talked about, who the prophets talked about. Jesus fulfills all of Scripture, the law and the prophets, all of it, right there and then. He says, come meet him. And, and, and Nathaniel, as he's walking towards Jesus, as soon as he meets Jesus, Nathaniel says, I saw you, Jesus says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Nothing false. Nathaniel, you're pure, you're a good man. You, you, you know, no nonsense. It is what it is. Nathaniel goes, how do you know me? He said, I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree. I saw you a long way off. See, Jesus sees you, church. He sees you wherever you're at, even if you're far from him. He sees you exactly where you're at. Nathaniel goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus promises him greater. He says, you'll see greater things than these. See, Philip went to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel rejected the description of Jesus. He said, nothing good can come from Nazareth. I want you to hear this. Make sure that they have an encounter in the description. How do you overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. We know the power is in the blood. We got that. But how is it in your testimony? Because by your, by your testimony, you're encouraged. It establishes the truth of God, which you can war with. It reminds you of what he's done and who you are. But he's also made manifest in the telling of it. When you authentically tell somebody who Jesus is and what he's done in your life, his presence comes into that moment. They need to have an encounter, not just an in, a description. I call it an inscription. Encounter with a description. Let them have that moment. Nathaniel rejected the description but he had an encounter. And if we can pair both, God will begin to move. Memorialize moments, church. Our memory gets fuzzy over time. You got to memorialize them. When the Israelites went through the Jordan, they took rocks out of it and stacked them together and said, this will be a memorial for future generations of all that God has done. Why? Memory gets a little fuzzy. Memory gets a little fuzzy. At the end of the day, you've got to know how to memorialize your moment. How to go, I'll never forget it. It's going to turn into a milestone. I'm going to point back to it. When I'm feeling lost in life, 
when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling like I'm defeated, I'll remember the goodness of God. I'll remember what he did. Come on, how many, is there anybody in here that remembers the goodness of God, that remembers what he did for you, that remembers how he saved you, that remembers how he, how he touched your children, they were off doing whatever, how he, how he healed your marriage, how he healed your body, how he saved your soul? Come on, is there a memorialized moment in here? Because a lot of times you can blow by them and then forget what they were. But he's too good for that. Maximize them. Memorialize them. Notice what's important. I can encourage you. Would you bow your heads with me today? Prayer team can come. You're here today and, and you need to break through. You need the spirit of breakthrough in this place today. Spirit of breakthrough in this place today. Spirit of victory in this place today. We said it in rally this morning. It's breakthrough. There's victory in this place today. I want to encourage you. But if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, church, let's pray together. Let's make a moment. Maximize the moment. You can know Jesus, you can have forgiveness of sin, and you can live an abundant and eternal life. I know it might be new for you, but just trust me and trust him. I want you to experience him in the description. Have an encounter with him in the description. Let's say this prayer together. At the end of it, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm going to celebrate that decision with you. Say, dear God, forgive me of my sin. I give my life to you. Jesus, I make you my Lord and Savior. I thank you for paying a price I couldn't when you went to the cross. I thank you for dying, for rising again, for conquering death, for conquering hell. I receive abundant and eternal life now. I promise to maximize this moment to serve you all my days. Thank you for saving me, cleansing me, giving me a new start. In Jesus' name. You said that prayer, you meant it in your heart. Say, hey, Raise your hand right now. Don't wait, don't hesitate. That, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. That's, that, thank you. There's, uh, there's a bunch of people. That's amazing. Let's give them a hand. Woo!